Good morning, church. It is a blessing to be with you this morning. We're continuing our sermon series called In God We Trust. And as a nation, we are just a few days from deciding the next president of the United States of America. And I just want to remind you this morning that it really doesn't matter who's in the White House as much as it matters who is Lord of your house. And it doesn't matter. uh, Thank you. Thank you. It doesn't matter. uh, Kurt, I got you back there. How much fear we have about the condition of our political situation as long as our spiritual situation is aligned with God's Word. And the way we're going to experience transformation as a nation is when we can get back to acknowledging God in every area of the lifestyle we live. And I'm going to be talking to you from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, in a sermon entitled, Acknowledge God. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6, Solomon is giving us an admonishment about wisdom. And in Proverbs 3, 6, he says, In all your ways, this is Solomon speaking to you and I about wisdom, In all your ways acknowledge God, and He will direct your paths. Now, if you were to do a quick study on the word acknowledgement, you would see that there are about three different ways we use that word in our vernacular. The first way we use the word acknowledgement is when we're referring to acceptance of some truth. Acceptance of some truth. For example, there were a lot of LSU fans who felt that the Tigers could beat Alabama. And after last night, we have to accept some cold, hard truth. And that truth is that referees in the SEC are really biased to the advantage of Alabama. It's the truth. It's the truth. But in, in, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible records a, a message that is very debated in other religions, and very much detested in the politically correct culture that we live in. In Acts 4.12, Peter says, There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It's the name of Jesus Christ Himself. Allah will not save you. A Hindu God will not save you. Reincarnation will save you. It is only the name of Jesus Christ that can lead to your salvation. And if you have not accepted the truth of Jesus Christ, give the Lord a clap of praise for that. Amen. If you have not accepted that truth of Jesus Christ and been reborn into the family of God, then you cannot acknowledge God in all your ways. As I was considering this point, I thought, I bet most of the people under the sound of my voice at WFR on Sunday morning will affirm, yes, Trent, it is true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to God the Father but through Jesus Christ. Or yes, the only name under heaven whereby men must be saved is in fact the name of Jesus. But here's where I think for most Christians it disconnects. And I want to ask you a rhetorical question. What is it in your personal life that you are looking towards 
to save you from your suffering? What is it in your personal life that you are looking at to save you from your suffering? In your struggling marriage, are you seeking after the name of Jesus Christ to save your marriage? Or are you looking elsewhere for something to save the condition of your marriage? For the stress you feel in the workplace, are you looking at the name of Jesus Christ to save and revolutionize what's happening to you at work? Or are you looking elsewhere? In your personal life with sadness and fear and frustration and isolation, are you looking to the name of Jesus to save you from that sadness and fear and desperation and isolation? Or are you looking to something else? And in the lives of most Christians, we're willing to readily admit, I know it's only the name of Jesus that saves. But in my personal struggles, I'm looking at things like sex, pornography, drugs, money, and power to save me from the, from the, the junk that I experience in my daily life. And so when I'm an individual who's willing to say, yes, Jesus Christ saves me spiritually, but in my private life, I'm looking at other things to satisfy and save me from the struggles I have, then I'm obligated to be silent in a morally bankrupt culture. Because how can I speak out the truth that there is no name under heaven whereby men must be saved and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to God the Father but by and through Him when in my personal life I'm not really looking to Jesus to save me from the trials and tribulations I experience in my daily grind. Friends, we've got to begin to accept the truth that we are a nation under God or we'll be a nation gone under. But in our personal lives, we have to accept the truth that it is only the name of Jesus Christ that's going to save us from the trials and tribulations we experience in our daily lives or we will be individuals gone under. Not only do we have to accept the truth about that if we're talking about acknowledging God, we've got to actively display gratitude actions of gratitude. So so if you're thinking about acknowledging another individual, what you're usually referring to is that I'm going to do something to display gratitude to another human being. So I might say to my bride, thank you when she uses her talents in the kitchen to bless me. In, in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, Solomon has finished building his temple. And the people of God are excited about the ark being in the temple, there being a place of worship where we can go and acknowledge God. And in 2 Chronicles 5:13, the Bible says this, the trumpeters and musicians in unison gave praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. 
Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. You see, in this instance, the nation of Israel acknowledges God because they are grateful God has blessed them to the point of being able to establish a place of worship where they can come and acknowledge God and act out their gratitude on display. In this instance, with musicians and trumpets and shouts of praise. And so it is in our own lives. As I was thinking about this sermon, I thought, man, we're, uh, we're entering into our season of gratitude, the Thanksgiving season. And lots of us will be spending time with people that are maybe hard for us to be around. Some of us are going to be in small, confined quarters with our in-laws for extended periods of time. Or maybe during your Thanksgiving season, you guys burn your turkey. Or perhaps you guys go on a family hunt and the weather is terrible for your family hunt. No matter what context you're in, it's the right context to demonstrate gratitude to God. Let me give you two reasons why. The first is this. An action of gratitude towards God leads to a change in your attitude for good. An action or a display of gratitude towards God leads to a change in your attitude for good. And if there's an area in your life where you're lacking an attitude that would otherwise glorify God, that area is an area of your life where you need to actively display gratitude for the Lord your God in. And this is what else I love about 2 Chronicles 5.13. The last part of that verse, after Israel praises God and they say, He is good, His love endures forever. As a result of their praise, then the temple of the Lord gets filled with a cloud. That's another way of saying, after they praised God, the presence of God powerfully filled up and inhabited their praise. The question you've got to ask yourself this morning is, in what area of my life is the presence of God lacking? In my marriage, is the presence of God manifesting itself powerfully or is the presence of God lacking? In my career, is the presence of God manifesting itself powerfully or is the presence of God lacking? In my finances, in my recovery, in my personal life, is the presence of God powerful or is it lacking? And if you discern that the power and presence of God is lacking in one area of your life, then you need to start praising God in that area of your life. Where there is praise, there is God's presence. So, man, if your marriage is a challenge, start praising God for the challenge. And watch the power of God's presence manifest itself in your marriage. If your career is a challenge or your financial situation is a challenge, start praising God for that career or that financial situation and allow the presence of a powerful God to manifest itself in those situations. Acknowledgement of God is acceptance of the truth about God, and it's an action of gratitude demonstrated towards God. But it's also an admission of indebtedness. Now in this sermon, I'm kind of sticking with examples from David or Solomon. Solomon was the writer of Proverbs, and his father was King David, a man after God's own heart. But you know, David was not an individual without his flaws, 
As a matter of fact, he made some mistakes much bigger than the mistakes any of us will make for the rest of our lives, possibly. And when he was making these mistakes, he was in a position of significant influence. It would have been a public spectacle for him to make some of the mistakes that he made. As a matter of fact, some of his mistakes led to civil war in Israel and ultimately the overthrow of that nation. So David was one of these individuals that came to a place in his life where he understood who he was pretty well. And one of those examples is Psalm chapter 40. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Listen to the words of David as he admits his indebtedness to God. David would say, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. There's something about this idea of a lifestyle that acknowledges God that's at its core about a lifestyle of patience. I'm going to be talking about that in conclusion, but I just want to mention at this point that David's patience in waiting for the Lord causes something to happen. And the Lord turns to David and hears David's cry. David goes on to say, He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Out of the mud and mire, he set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. At this point, David is acknowledging his indebtedness to the Lord. But I want to show you a bad example of what indebtedness could look like in the form of an acknowledgement. I was doing some research for a paper I wrote in graduate school, and I was trying to figure out the best way, the worst way to write an acknowledgement. And I thought, well, if I don't do it the very best, at least then I won't do it the very worst. And so if I'm somewhere in the middle, I ought to pass because C's get degrees, right? Who's in in school here or college, okay? I've got it up on screen for you here, but it's, it's maybe too small for you to read. Uh, this is an acknowledgement. It's famous in graduate schools. I looked it over and I thought it would be useful to share it with you. This acknowledgement from a particular book says, quote, I blame all of you. Writing this book has been an exercise in sustained suffering. The casual reader may perhaps exempt herself from excessive guilt But for those of you who have played the larger role in prolonging my agonies with all of your encouragement and support, well, you know who you are, and you owe me. When I'm reflecting on Psalm 40 and the words of David, I think of how gracious David's admission of his indebtedness to God is. That the God of the universe would incline his ear to David and turn towards David and be so moved to lift David from the miry pit, from the slop and the slime, and not just send him on his way, but set his feet on a rock. David was a man who understood his indebtedness to God. But this acknowledgement is how most of us experience our indebtedness to our Creator. Most of us have this bah humbug approach. We would say, God, I blame you. Living this life has been an exercise in sustained suffering. 
Yeah, sure, you saved me, but now I have to live life your way. Yes, there have been seasons of my life where I've gotten away with little stuff or seasons of blessing, but all in all, your encouragement and support, well, I feel like you owe me. And when we live with that kind of a mentality as Christians, it's impossible for us to live a life that acknowledges God the way God is asking us to be acknowledged. If this is how we would define acknowledgement, we need to also assess how the Scriptures define acknowledgement. You can see in each of of the illustrations I'm using, I'm getting about acknowledgement based on our vernacular. But if you dig deeper into the Word, Proverbs 3, 6 actually uses for acknowledgement, you find three different things that come to bear heavily on acknowledging God. Some of your translations in Proverbs 3, 6 may not even have the word acknowledgement in the, in the text. Does anybody have the word submission in their Bible for Proverbs 3, 6 instead of acknowledgement? Okay, a couple of people. So the Hebrew word used for the word acknowledgement that we translate acknowledgement is sometimes translated as submission. And in the way we understand acknowledgement in our vernacular, yes, it's acceptance of truth. Yes, it could be an action of gratitude. It could even be an admission of indebtedness. But we miss this idea of submission and surrender in our approach to acknowledgement when we're acknowledging another human being. But if we understand the way that the Scriptures are asking us to acknowledge God, the foundational concept for that idea of acknowledgement is based in the idea of submission and surrender. You see, the Christian that truly acknowledges God will in all his ways submit to and surrender to the leadership of God through the move of the Holy Spirit in his life. And man, that's hard. Because life is hard. Life is filled with all kinds of different pitfalls and trials and struggles and tribulations. And who better to point to that truth than the state of political candidates on either side of the aisle right now. These are individuals who have made significant mistakes, which would all be resolved if they decided they were going to submit to the Lord in all of their ways. The example that comes to mind as the perfect example of submission to God is in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 36, Jesus is facing the most difficult challenge of his life. It's his crucifixion. And in Mark 14, 36, Jesus, and we get some intimate words here, cries out to God, his Father, and he says, Abba, Father, Daddy. It's an intimate expression. Jesus is bearing his soul to God. Daddy. Everything is possible for you. Everything. If there's a way, take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. A life lived in in acknowledgement to God in all ways, particularly acknowledges God in the most difficult of circumstances. 
What I love about Mark 14, 36 is in the verse, not only does Jesus confront his most difficult situation, he also accesses his most powerful resource, which is a God for whom nothing is impossible. The reason you and I can submit to the power and call of God on our lives is because we know that through God, nothing is impossible. Because for God, nothing is impossible. And when the same Spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead is working in me, through me, and around me, I too can submit to God's will regardless of circumstance. That's the God that we serve. Praise God. And it's not simply a submitting to God. Some of your, some of your Bibles, instead of acknowledging God or submitting to God, might say, um, seek the Lord in all your ways. The Hebrew word used for acknowledgement also is translated to seek in Proverbs 3.6. This is a, another scripture reference, 1 Chronicles 28 and 9. Now in the 2 Chronicles 5.13 passage, what was happening when Israel was rejoicing is they had finally built the temple where they could worship God. And after they praised God, the power of the presence of God manifests itself in the temple. But before that moment, David has some words of wisdom for his son, Solomon, who wrote our text this morning. I want to read 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 9 to you. The Bible says this, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. As a dad who is really desperately trying to develop children, there are lots of times where I give my kids advice and I wonder if they remember it. God, is my son going to remember what I taught him about this particular thing when he gets older? What we see here in 1 Chronicles 28.9 is basically the first teaching Solomon received on the lesson he's giving to us in Proverbs 3.6. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways and he'll direct your paths. Sounds an awful lot like acknowledge the God of your father. Serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. The idea of submitting to God as far as acknowledgement is concerned is important because it's a demonstration of how significant it is for us to submit to God even in the most difficult of circumstances. But this idea of seeking God is also important because it signifies our need in every single situation to seek after God wholeheartedly. And I get it. I'm a dad who's got three kids under the age of eight that are in school, that are in sports, that are hanging out with friends, that are in birthdays, that live away from family, that are trying to find ways of entertaining kids and prepping sermons and working with families and attending small group and it and it's so much sometimes to handle but the busyness and the stress is never an excuse 
for not seeking God in all our ways. When we seek after God in all of our ways, we get the benefit that Proverbs 3, 6 says we'll be afforded. But what about those times when we stumble and fall? What about those times when it's really, really difficult and we've done our best and our best just isn't good enough? What I love about what David tells Solomon here is that God searches your heart, Solomon, and he gets it. Yeah, the Lord searches every heart, but he also understands every single desire. In other words, Solomon, you don't serve a God who's so far removed from your daily life that he doesn't get what the struggle is like. And the writer of Hebrews would later tell you and I about Jesus Christ that he was in fact and always tempted just like we are and yet he was without sin. Friend, Jesus knows what it's like to have to live in human skin and deal with the dead-end job that you have to deal with. Jesus was a carpenter. He knows what it's like to have to be tempted with sexual things and women. Jesus hung out with lots of people who were prostitutes and sinners. Jesus also knew what it felt like to be tempted with substances. He hung out at parties, even one time turning water into wine, and he was still without sin. He gets it. And so in your shortcomings, when you're really trying to seek God and acknowledge Him in all your ways and you fail, don't allow your failures to cause you to want to run and hide from God because He gets it and He knows it anyway. On the contrary, it's at those moments that we should allow that spirit within us to cry out to God the way Jesus does. Daddy, help me. Lead me and guide me. So, so Proverbs 3.6, the, the word for acknowledgement means, in some translations, submitting to God. In some translations, it means seeking the will of God. And in some translations, your Bible might say, in all, think of the Lord in all your ways, and He'll direct your paths. And if we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about acknowledging God... It's certainly about staying your mind on God. You know, we're not the only nation in the history of the world that's had some political unrest, believe it or not. In Isaiah chapter 26, Israel is actually in a place of politically unrest. The northern kingdom is going to be overthrown. The southern kingdom's divided from the northern kingdom. There's civil war. There's multiple kings. There's uprisings. There's factions. There's slander. There's everything imaginable happening in, the, in those two nations. And God sends a man named Isaiah to speak truth to God's people. And Isaiah very boldly in the, in, the, in the middle of a political nightmare doesn't say, make sure that you're picketing for the right candidate. Isaiah doesn't, make sure, doesn't say, make sure you're donating to the right cause or make sure you're propagating the right message. He says, the one thing you need to do to experience perfect peace in your life in the midst of political unrest is to keep your mind stayed on God. And if you'll keep your mind stayed on the Lord, He will keep you in perfect peace. And the peace of God is more powerful than the political machine of man. 
So if that's my disclaimer, I also want to charge you. If you're going to acknowledge God in all your ways, then that means you are carrying in to the ballot box the truths that God has demonstrated to you in His Word. And you're casting a vote that aligns with the teachings of God's Word. And you're covering this nation with prayer, and you're acting in your personal life in a way that consistently and diligently acknowledges God. And when all of America starts to live in that way, acknowledge God in the ballot box, pray for our nation, and live personally in a way that acknowledges and seeks after God in all of our ways, then we'll be led of God, we'll have the peace of God, we'll experience the presence of God and the power of God, not just personally, but nationwide. And that's how the United States of America will be transformed. And that's how God's been transforming men and women forever. In Luke chapter 18, we get a really good biblical example of what this looks like. I want to read this to you and then I'm going to close. Jesus is teaching his disciples essentially about this idea of living a life diligent and and persistent in pursuit of God. And that's the core of what the Bible teaches in terms of acknowledging God. So Jesus, in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, tells his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, the judge refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Some of your translations might say, so that she won't keep tiring me out with these bothersome requests. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Who, care, who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? There are three pieces of this story that are really meaningful for me. The first is the condition of this woman. What we know based on the text is that she's a widow and someone has done her wrong and she's seeking for justice. But there are a lot of questions that this story rises up in most scholars and theologians. For example, where were her children? If an injustice had been done to a woman, it would have been the children's responsibility based on the context in Jesus' day to rise up and seek that justice be done. Could perhaps the injustice have been about... Someone murdering her husband and maybe even her children? You're also prone maybe to ask, when was the injustice inflicted upon this woman? Was it in childhood and she's carried this with her for years and years and years and years? Was it recent, something so profound that she consistently went to revisit the judge again and again and again and again? We don't know the answer to those questions. What we do know is that it seems as though no one was supporting this woman in her quest 
to have a need met by someone more powerful than herself. And in her life and lifestyle, we see Jesus teaching a valuable lesson on the need for prayer and the need for continuing to persevere. Even if the answer is no, time and time and time again. Even if injustice seems to occur again and again and again and again. Even if it seems God is silent for days and weeks and months and years, you still persevere. You still acknowledge God in all your ways. You still submit to Him in all your ways. You still stay your mind in Him in all of your ways. If you will live that lifestyle, your lifestyle will change heaven. We serve a God who is unchangingly committed. Praise God. We serve God... Here's the way this works, guys. God doesn't change. So the theological debate is, if God doesn't change, how can my prayers change God? Which is really bad linear theology. God is unchangingly committed to being inspired by our prayers. That's exactly Jesus' teaching here in Luke 18. Your effort does move God's heart. And the second thing Jesus said, that's the first teaching. The second teaching here, Jesus asks a question. Am I going to find that faith in you when I return? Is there going to be a woman or a man under the sound of my voice who has lived a life where they've acknowledged God, having time and time and time again feeling rejected or unheard or having requests go unanswered? Is there somebody who will have that kind of faith when I return. And the most important question for you today is, will that person be you? Will you be the kind of individual who acknowledges God in all His ways? Or will you not? I don't know what the need is in your life. I know that there is a need. And I pray that if there's an area in your life in which you're not acknowledging God the way that the Scriptures teach acknowledgement, that you'll bring that need forward and allow us as a church family to surround you and pray for you and encourage you while you're in the waiting room like this widow was. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask you, uh, God, right now to move in the hearts of all of those who are desperate to have your presence and your power and your peace manifest itself in their lives. The way, the way that they're going to experience that is the way your word has taught us this morning. God, I just ask that you'd empower those to come forward. And those that decide not to, God, I pray that you'd minister to each and every need that they have. God, I want to take a special moment to pray over the election of our nation. And that your hand be upon all voters in the electorate and in the popular vote. And that your will would be done. And I ask, God, that whoever sits in the White House would not change who each person here keeps in our home as the Lord and Savior of our lives. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.